Hello everyone, just a quick message before you delve into the backlog of the After Film School Club podcast. In the first half of 2020, we went under the name of the Above the Line podcast, since that's the website where we were exclusively based for that time. Rest assured that you listen to the right podcast now when you listen to this episode, because we've rebranded and have released all our exclusive episodes for free. So, we hope you enjoy where we started off, and continue to enjoy where we're going to go in the future. Happy listening! Hello loyal listeners, and welcome to the second part of the Above the Line podcast's bumper episode on the London Shorts Film Festival. We hope you enjoyed the first half of Jack and Simon's in-depth discussion of the best of the fest, but just a reminder that we have picked up a little bit of static in our recording, which we tried our best to remedy while also retaining the good chemistry that we captured on the night of recording. We hope it's not going to bother you too much, so stay tuned for some more news on the best new filmmakers on the block. We're going to move on to a couple of technical categories now. So we've moved away from the main best pictures, as it were, and now we're on best cinematography. Mine, I've tried to go for a few sort of different textural ones because I think, you know, there was quite a range of, um, you know, different experimental techniques in this festival on the whole. Uh, I quite liked Mango. It's almost like a desktop movie. You know, this this sort of thing's quite popular now with uh, stuff like Unfriended and searching and uh, my favorite of the bunch so far uh, is host which was a lockdown movie that was released last year 56 minutes of just pure like unadulterated mayhem and terror uh, wonderful it's about a woman uh, sorry mango is about a woman having an affair and the way that she tries to mask it from her partner i didn't think it was the best film in the world but i did think that the way that it toyed with your expectations of looking out of the front camera of the phone led to some quite good visual gags and i think um that sort of thing kind of needs to be funny if it isn't scary you know yeah definitely although there is something to be said about how it does a good job of making you feel like your phone knows everything about you you know exactly yeah exactly so yeah like there are laughs behind the sort of um subtextual horror of it all (laughs) yeah yeah um, I also quite liked Swivel as well, which is uh, essentially kind of like a dance movie. It's a LGBT dance movie. I'm not generally a fan of sort of like expressionistic dance, but uh, I was quite touched and moved by this one. Uh, very intimate, very sensual. Yeah, good stuff. My favourite... Oh, actually, no, sorry. Are you going to do your honourable mentions? Yeah, then? I'll do my honourable mentions. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Two of them... Well, they have both already been mentioned <laughs> so home truth which you spoke about earlier yeah about the obviously um immigrant woman living inside i thought it was a really good depiction of the gritty inside of lockdown where all the footage is quite grainy if i remember correctly like the iso i think must be quite high it's all sort of filmed indoors all the curtains drawn and it's all quite yep. deliberately dull and then it's mm-hmm. juxtaposed against this, the footage of, I think they filmed it in Finland. I meant to say it earlier. I think they filmed the outdoor bits in Finland. Right. Um, yes. Sorry. Apologies I, I'm again when if it comes to Scandinavia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this like beautiful, clear outdoor shots. I thought that was just a really good way of shooting. Um, so yeah, that was one. The other one uh, was Bulldog. Um, because, mm-hmm. like we mentioned earlier, partly 
it was due to this aspect ratio thing. You know, everything's a box. This one is also boxy, but it has one shot in it which suddenly goes widescreen, and it really hits home. It kind of takes your breath away, it doesn't really it? It really does, because it's stunning. It's just like looking over... I don't actually know what city it's set in. I'm going to assume London. <laughs> I think it's London. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, yeah, looking over sort of the London landscape, and it's... Yeah, I just, I just thought the way it was really grittily shot and then that single shot there is just super cinematic and it comes at a point in the story where it earns it and it's yeah mm-hmm. so that was my other honorable mention nice i think i've just worked out what your best cinematography is uh-huh. um is it the chinese movie yeah <laughs> yeah mine too oh really yeah oh good drifting drifting yes, yes. um I'm just going to get my notes for this because I did write a few of them because I found it quite a fascinating film. Um, thematically, at least, we had a bit of a debate over its um, politics, which I think were deliberately confusing and thorny because the subject that it's talking about is also very thorny. It's, um, yeah, I think it sort of buckles maybe a little bit under the weight of its own themes for yeah. such a short film. Yeah. But. So basically, it's about. Um, well, it opens with this uh, this young man in a small Chinese town. He is uh, drifting around the parking lot doing donuts and whatnot. You begin to discover something about his past that isn't necessarily um, ethical, mm-hmm. like the way that his parents have brought him up um, in the political climate of China. So it is It is a complex film in that way, but there is absolutely no doubt that the cinematography is absolutely top draw. Yeah. Uh, there's so many visual grace notes in about like 19 minutes of just like going between these different moods of ecstasy, uh, longing, shared experience with other people. It reminded me a lot of um, a film called Long Day's Journey Into Night, which came out, I think it came out at the end of 2019. Um, and again, it's another sort of very dreamy uh, Chinese drama, but um, it's very notable because it contains a 59-minute long take in 3D. Wow. Uh, towards the end of the film, <laughs> <laughs> which is just like absolutely jaw-droppingly beautiful. Um, so it reminded me a lot of that. It also reminded me of some of the films of Sai Ming Liang. One of the films I watched from him recently was Goodbye Dragon Inn which is about um, a cinema closing in uh, Taiwan it's like the last film that they're ever showing at the cinema before it uh, basically gets closed down and um, it's Dragon Inn the uh, King Who martial arts movie and it's about like the ghosts in this theatre and you know this this guy sort of walking around and it's raining outside there's leaks all over the place but it's, it's so like sumptuously beautiful and I think a lot of that was found in drifting as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I think, yeah, thematically confusing slightly, mm-hmm. just because of the way. I don't of it. necessarily think that's a bad thing. No, neither do I. I think it's it's just too complex for somebody who hasn't lived in that yeah. environment. Yeah, I think it's just like it talks about <laughs> obviously one child policy. It talks about mm-hmm. trans issues in that country. Yeah. Uh, it talks about nature versus nurture in yeah. uh, trans community, which is obviously a very weighty topic into itself. Far too weighty potentially for a 15-minute short film, uh, 
20, 15 minutes, I can't remember, um, short film. Um, but like you say, it's so well framed. Like just these slow zooms through like windows, you know, like, I don't know, it'll start in one room and then just really slowly just creep into the next room. So seamless, not pretentious, like it feels earned and it doesn't take you out the scene yep. from the camera movement. And I don't know, it was just really, really good um, in terms of the framing. And I think it did do some of the themes justice, but I felt like it could have been a feature, you know? Yeah. I was actually reminded quite a lot of um, a film called So Long My Son, which came out uh, 2019 as well, which is again about the one-child policy in China. But I tell you what, man, that film has time to breathe. It is 183 minutes long, I think. Wow. Yeah, that's... <laughs> so um, it's like a proper emotional epic that spans like 30 years. Wow. Um, it's, yeah, it's pretty stunning. Like, So, yeah, it's no mean... So, yeah and I don't, I don't think I'd like deduct too many marks from this one if you know what I mean in terms of like it may be buckling under the weight a little bit but it's mm -hmm. it for what it tries to do the amount of themes it tries to pull off I feel like it did a pretty good job I, I can't see many filmmakers being able to actually do it much better uh, and no, like I really wasn't too confused if you know what I mean for someone who doesn't live there like I can't I felt like I had a reasonably firm grasp of like what was going on you know yeah mm-hmm um, yeah, I mean, at least directorially, I think it's like a really positive step. The filmmaker's called uh, Hang Seong Bo. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, so if you ever see another short from him... I think and... he's working on a feature. No way, Yeah, I really? saw an article earlier. I think he is in LA now, I think. Wow. I don't know if I'm misquoting. Getting if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Decent funding. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's exciting. Because yeah, I feel like he needs a feature. That'd be nice. Best sound should we do now? For my honourable mentions, I'm going to go for Woodchild and Hidden Forest Mother, which is an animation, uh, Mexican animation, uh, just kind of really bizarre fairy tale, folk tale thing about a, a hunter trying to hunt down this kind of little creepy Care Bear-like um, thing that keeps jumping around, but it's got a hell of a score. Um, I actually wrote down what it was somewhere. Um, here it is. It's the music that it uses is uh, Huapango by Jose Pablo Moncayo, performed by Enrique Batiz and the Festival Orchestra of Mexico. It's just an absolutely uh, rollicking bit of uh, music put against these kind of little yippee kind of voice work which is just hilarious i didn't understand it at all but i it definitely painted quite a nice picture um i also thought there was some really strong voice work in a film called memoirs of a freezer which is about the imagined history of um a freezer going between different owners so almost a bit like toy story if woody was a freezer and a bit of middle-aged old man who, you know, kind of rates his owners on what they stuff him with. Like, whether it's, you know, frozen fruit and veg for their smoothies or how many peas are left rattling around in him. Uh, I just thought that was a really hilarious performance by Edward Rowe in that little short film. So that was pretty good. What were your honourables? Uh, my honourables were... This one may be cheating, but I don't know if you saw In the Air tonight. I didn't see that one. Ah. However... 
Is it a Phil Collins? Uh, <laughs> yes. Film. So it's nice. to Phil Collins. So of course I liked it because <laughs> it's in the air tonight, which is a great song, <laughs> and they remix that song as well. So for context, it's about the story of the song in the air tonight, which is about when Phil Collins saw a man drowning. But it takes the standard story that everyone knows about the song, and then takes it further into a really weird place. But it's like kind of profound at even points. weirder than the gorilla playing the drums in the in the Cadbury's advert even weirder there are like <laughs> there are like penises on the screen there wow are, yeah it's it's something uh <laughs> but yeah i really love the sound because phil collins and genesis are on the soundtrack which is always good uh and the voiceover work is really great as well like really entertaining uh, the voiceover he is playing, I think he is playing the man who drowned, if I remember right. Um, sort of like the spirit of him, I guess. And it's just great fun. My other one is a film we've already mentioned called A Place to Stay. The one about the evil flat. And I just yep. thought I'd mention, I thought the sound design was great. And it really was good at building tension. Uh, like the kettle was always mm-hmm. boiling and uh, the sound editing, mm-hmm. as well as I mentioned earlier. Just the way that it keeps snapping back to silence as well. It's like the isolated space and of a flat and when you're in a room that hasn't got any windows and it's silent, that's like Guantanamo Bay level uh, horror there. Good pick. Yeah, absolutely. That was my other honourable mention just for the way it built tension. What was, what was your fave? Your winner. Oh. Uh, oh. A Noble Truth. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and we've already mentioned what it's about. It's the Flat Earth one. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the soundtrack is by... Ben Salisbury. That's it. Yeah. Um, I you're a... a fan, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Um, he scored Ex Machina. He scored Annihilation. And he also scored Devs. So he works a lot with Alex Garland. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, what a lucky man. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, absolutely. I think his his work on Devs in particular, even though I think Devs is probably Alex Garland's weakest thing so far. Um, really, I haven't seen it. I, I would recommend watching it. I just recommend kind of stopping at the penultimate episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. But, yeah. but the score is always fantastic, like all the way through. But his work here as well, it's kind of like a folky soundtrack. It wouldn't look out of place in a Ben Wheatley film. I don't uh, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminded me quite a lot of the work that Jim Williams has done on his movies before. Um, yeah. Of course, Jim Williams has gone on to do stuff like Raw, which is one of the oh, I love that hel- <laughs> most hilarious horror comedies ever. If yeah, you can call absolutely. it a comedy. And uh, also, most recently, Possessor as well. It's I really see it. offbeat score in that um, for such a crazily horrible movie. Um, but yeah, um, Ben Salisbury's channeling a lot of that same energy. And also the sound design, like generally, you were talking about the documentary realism of it all. Um, and then it's sort of, whenever the mood darkens and the conspiracy theories get more and more like insidious, it just becomes this like intense, thrumming, dark soundscape. Um, that just is a real credit to the performances as well. Um, we yeah. were talking about the performances being really great here, but... Um, the sound complements it very nicely. Do you know if Ben Salisbury is related to the director? I've just kind of realised the direct writer-director's name is Tia Salisbury. Oh, really? So, yeah, I wonder if they're related, potentially. 
talented family if so yeah absolutely <laughs> and uh, i would like to see more collaborations from them in the future yeah absolutely <laughs> nice uh shall we move on to best screenplay so my um my honorable mentions went to uh well the first one was black goat by yi tang which mm-hmm. is a story of a buddhist girl um who gets her first period um while she's at i think it's like a buddhist school um it's like a convent that's it yeah that's the word yeah. I'm for. and i just thought it was really good at, in the subtlety with it all um like it really hammers home the feeling of shame and embarrassment that unfortunately a lot of societies put on women when they first get their period or when they continue getting their period you know um I thought it did it in kind of a really subtle way. It's not like too over the head with it. It's quite a lot of symbolism in there. I just thought it was really well written. It's quite a quiet film. So there's not too much dialogue as well. It's not like over explained or anything like that. Um, It's written. Yeah, I just feel like it was written really strongly. You get a proper sense of what it's like, even if I couldn't be further removed from the subject matter. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think I like the way that it modulates quite a like quite a few different um, comedic textures in there as well, because you think it's kind of um, like almost like it's set in the past in a way. And then you realize when one character passes an iPod to the other and says, <laughs> do you like Justin Bieber? Um, you're like, oh, <laughs> this is now. All right. All it right. really grounds cool. it, I think. Isn't it? Yeah, it does. And then the way that it sort of moves towards this um, journey of self-discovery and acceptance of others as well, which I think is, mm-hmm. is really refreshing, actually, because I mm-hmm. I always thought that this film was going to end in a really like negative, oh, this is a victimhood story. That's um, what I thought as well. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it doesn't. And in the way that it ends as well, with like literally a snap of the fingers, mm-hmm. is really funny. <laughs> yeah, really and great. I, and like I think that was my favourite ending of all of the films in the, in, in yeah, the festival. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was just really well written, I think, and it really hammers home the the importance of community. Yeah, and you know, especially as a teenager, mm-hmm. I think it's properly important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, my other honourable mention was one we've already talked about a lot, so I won't go into it too much. And I've talked about why I love it was A Noble Truth by T.S. Oldsbury. Uh, again, yeah, love the subject matter, and I just felt like it really did it justice. It also knows the right point in which to end as well. I think. Um, yeah definitely because i feel like it could have gone on to uh, like a very silly conclusion but it it, mm-hmm. it leaves you in a place where it reveals just enough and then kind of snaps you back into this very strange almost like nether world of the internet that these yeah, characters yeah inhabit it doesn't belittle people yeah. who believe this stuff mm-hmm. i think there's a tendency, a very easy tendency to just laugh at people who fall into this trap yeah. when it's actually kind of a bit of an epidemic. <laughs> you know, everyone's kind of falling into conspiracy theories at the moment and it's better to treat them with respect and try and get them out of it. And I feel like this film, it humanises her yeah. in a good way and makes you think, like, this is sad. She's lost her friends, you know. She's lost the people around her. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, yeah, really well-rounded. It's a good listener of a film, which I think is an underrated quality that's not often seen in quite a lot of films. So Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. What were your honourable mentions? One of them's a bit of a curveball, actually, but I just thought it was like quite 
nicely self-contained for what it was. Um, it was Crumbs 3 cinema trailer, which was... I don't know if I saw that one. It was one of the... Um, oh, actually, sorry, I'm just going to double-check the um, the section that it was in. Oh, yeah, sorry, no, it was the um, Sedu Cinema low-budget mayhem one. Oh, I must... I think I saw it then. Right. Basically, it's like home movie footage of uh, playing with your dog at the beach, basically. But over oh, the top yes, of I it, did see that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but over the top of it, there's this narration that is like a um, like a cinema trailer, and it's like, uh, you have never seen anything like this before. This film will <laughs> knock your socks off and your eyeballs out of your skull. Uh, <laughs> but it's done in that kind of like deadpan sort of like I'm I'm not convinced by what I'm saying sort of way, and I like that sense of humor quite a lot because yeah. one of my favorite things ever is a, a tv well sort of a web series called on cinema at the cinema which is where have you ever seen this i haven't oh dude it's it's such a trap like when you get into it <laughs> there's so much of it and you're like i can't stop watching this um it's it's basically at its heart um a web series that's a parody of a cinema criticism show done by comedians greg turkington and tim heidecker and oh you know tim heidecker i do know yep. he was in us as well wasn't he yes he is yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was <laughs> which was really out of place <laughs> oh he's so good in us though his, his but he's uh, great. little yeah. i'm gonna help you up oh psych yeah. moment is uh <laughs> one of my favorites in, in recent memory i think but yes no sorry so on cinema is basically this um thing that started off initially as a, a as a parody of a film criticism show but then branched off into um uh, a long tale about these two characters that kind of hate each other but are bound together in like everything that they do and like the schemes that they try and get into in a way but initially uh, at the beginning of on cinema when you see tim heidecker trying to read out the synopses of these films and going like um so there is a uh, uh this is a movie uh this is fantastic uh great movie uh i'm gonna give it five bags of popcorn because uh this, this is a great movie and uh <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's genius because you can tell that neither of them actually watch the films and they just kind of like just talk around them um because they've got so much like stuff going on in these fictional lives that it's just so ridiculous and and you kind of just imagine it around the around the texture of the show right it is really funny, man. I'm going to have to get you on this. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely have to start But the tone it. of it was very similar to this little short film, Crumbs 3 Cinema Trailer. So uh, the the, uh, the hype, uh, this is the scariest movie in in, in the world. And ah, wow, wow. <laughs> so I, fa- oh I found that really funny. Um, and just like the like little turns of phrase in it were just like dead on my sense of humor. So I enjoyed that very much. Back to something that's actually really quite well written, though. Um, it was a short film called Hovering Between Us, which... Oh, yeah. That was mm-hmm, great. Which was about um, a couple of flatmates and this sort of unrequited love that one has for the other and the way that they begin to understand what they're going through and why they're not talking to them in the way that they used to is because they're struggling with depression. And again, another very short film, but it manages to condense all of these like really... Um, beautiful emotions into 
a very short amount of time. Just a just a really great script behind that one. And it's not too um, obvious with it. Like there's not too much nope. dialogue that like over explains it. It's not nope. super expositiony. Um, yeah, I think it's quite just like a well a constructed subtle... story, really. Yeah, um... yeah, and again, deeply human as well. Mm-hmm. It feels very honest. Like f- just everyone seems flawed, you know, and in such a short space of time. Yeah, really great. Honorables for you. Um, so my I've talked about my honorables, haven't I? Have you? Oh yeah, you have. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> what was your uh, What was your pick? This is so late. This is uh, <laughs> seven minutes past ten. Good God. Um, my winner was Such Small Hands. Wow, um, nice. W- yeah, which I just really it really won me over. I really wasn't sure of it at the start, um, and then by the end, I was like, yeah, that was fantastic. And it was adapted from a book, which is yes, really interesting. Uh, it's set in an orphanage and a new girl joins the orphanage and it's about how this young group of girls treat this newcomer and it's all kind of about groupthink and tribalism and trauma mm-hmm. and I just felt like even though it's got voiceover it still felt very quiet um, like it didn't feel like it was adapted from a book do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like it felt like a very visual story it felt like it was like adapted from a poem yeah 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 i could see that actually (laughs) yeah it was yeah because the the voiceover was kind of sparse and it it was definitely a visual story and there was visual moments to it so Mm -hmm. it's definitely been adapted really well into a screenplay and i just yeah i felt like it was a really good way of doing it and had some great performances in it as well yeah um i have not gone for that actually i have gone for jim patriot Oh no way! <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and we've That's already so explained good. what that one's about, but I think it's such a well-constructed gag. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just as an idea, sort of fully formed. It's really funny, um, <laughs> and also very bitter and acidic as well. A yeah, very definitely. 2020 movie, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a sort of you've captured the zeitgeist of a moment incredibly well. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah. How a lot of people probably feel, unfortunately, mm-hmm. in this country right now, which is not a good thing. <laughs> Again, an epidemic of thought into gammon men. <laughs> but of course, we need to listen to these people. Yeah, um, yeah, as, sorry. As, uh, uh, <laughs> as well. It's, it is fun to take the mick, but it is yeah. also... It's, it's, you know, it's easy to put labels <laughs> yeah, on, yeah, absolutely. On, on people like that, but... Um, the way that this kind of humanizes that uh, archetype, let's say, um, and then uh, slaps it in the face is quite nice. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, I was giggling to myself. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I also think the genius thing about it is, like, you can kind of see the ending coming about, like, only about 10 seconds before it happens. I was like, yeah. oh, please end this way. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then I was it really does. worried for a point it was going to turn like horrible or something. Mm-hmm. And but I'm so glad. I was so satisfied with the ending. Yeah, me too. Best performances. So yeah, my honourable mentions for best performance were um, well, the first one is from Returning again, which we mentioned earlier. Um, was Neve Cusack? Uh, mm-hmm. I think she gave a really nuanced performance. Um, that I really, really appreciated, if you know what I mean. Like, just in terms of, it felt really realistic, and like the micro expressions on her face, I felt were just like 
really powerful for such a quiet film about such a kind of big subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really appreciated hers. Um, I really liked um, No More Wings by Abraham Adeyemi. And the actor in it was Ivano Jeremiah. He's one of my uh, picks as well. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, again, he just, it was that, um, that contrast of regret, but also pride for where you've gone in your yeah. life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I just felt like it was so, a really So for context, film. No More Wings is about um, two friends meeting up in uh, the chicken shop where they used to go after school. One of them has moved out of the neighbourhood and um, one of them has stayed. And the one who moved out has got a city job, you know, he's buying a house, he's getting ready to settle down with his partner. The other one, um, let's say matters are less fun. But yeah, a couple of really strong performances from like everyone across the board uh, in, in that, particularly yeah, Ivan and Jeremiah. So yep, agreed on that one. Definitely. And it's like, I don't know, I just like the themes of, you know, some people want to fly the nest and some people feel a real pride of where they come from and actively want to make it a better place. Yeah. But also it it talks about how just because you want to fly the nest doesn't mean you don't like where you came from. I don't know, it's quite a complex one yep. uh, in subject matter. I thought it was really well depicted and the performances were great. But my winner was actually... Uh, Montel Bowen, 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 in Home by Eight Thirty, which we talked about earlier. Yeah, I thought his performance for such a tense movie, um, I thought he, he was great because it looked like he could break at any second. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just felt what he was feeling. That's a good despite... point, actually, because you were talking about the film breaking towards the end, right? Yeah. Yeah, but the way absolutely. that he that his performance like actually matched the tension of the film, like the exact same tone and like down to the editing as well. Um, That's it. Yeah, yeah. Like he carried a lot of it uh, in a way, as well as obviously direction, editing, and all yeah. the other actors in it were great as well, actually. But I really felt his internal conflict and the fact that he was. Um, keeping a secret, obviously, from his family, and it was tearing him apart physically and mentally mm-hmm. so yeah it was really it was my favorite one out of the whole lot i think it's a good point very good point he didn't make the cut for me because i think uh, i saw uh, something that you didn't see ah uh, yes you did yeah um first of all though for my honorable mention other than the fellas in no more wings it, uh, it is worth saying that paris jordan was the other of those gentlemen in no more wings the equal to Ivano Jeremiah in my <laughs> in my book. Um, yes, I definitely. really enjoyed uh, Rabina Kironde in Princess, who oh, yes. plays a mother who is um, spending a day out with her daughter in, I think it's Hackney. Is it Hackney? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, I somewhere th- in London. <laughs> yeah, it's a very urban neighbourhood in London, bustling streets and whatnot, and. Basically, her spending some quality time with her daughter, which does involve shoplifting, which does involve uh, trying on dresses in one of the local shops, um, also going to the park. But the way that her performance is able to modulate when she's in front of her daughter and when she's not, 
when her daughter's just out of frame, you begin to see what's really going on with her mind and the way that she just looks at people and sees sort of micro-expressions mirrored back onto herself is a really effective way of, of telling that story. And I think, again, like you said, when an actor is able to carry an entire movie on their face, mm-hmm. that's quite an impressive thing. Um, my best performance, however, is Fionn Evans in Just Me, which kind of like absolutely knocked my socks off, uh, to be honest. I, <laughs> it's basically a, a one-scene drama about a couple. The guy in the couple uh, has just basically had a revelation where uh, his girlfriend, or as he perceives them, is leaving because uh, they've just realised that they are non-binary and are finally comfortable enough to say it. And it's basically just this two-hander about two people coming to terms with figuring out who they really are. I feel like the script isn't as strong as the performances because, in a way, it kind of walks you through the argument that quite a lot of us do know already. I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing because I think it's good that it'll get out to a wider audience that way. I guess it's kind of more inclusive in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and it is a film about inclusivity, so, you know, like... It it would be a bit rubbish if it was just sort of like, well, you know, this is it, you know, deal with it. But the performances in this, uh, like I said, Fionn Evans, fantastic. Uh, Sam Buchanan as well, a really moving two-hander. You can tell that this... Not to say that this is a bad thing, but you can tell it's been like very rehearsed, and and just all the ways that uh, the, the the pace of the dialogue begins to uh, slow down and break down, and then quicken up again, conveyed by these two very young actors who are doing absolutely fantastic work. So just the the, the film was called Just Me, um, and all the actors in it, a hundred percent of them were fantastic. That was quite. I'm nice. glad I didn't get to see it. Yeah, I'm good at it as well. Because <laughs> yeah. it would have been nice to talk about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. hopefully, if it's on anything else, I'll um, I'll look. I out think for it has it done the rounds uh, in in festivals actually. Because I I was talking to a friend the other night who did manage to catch up with it elsewhere. So mm-hmm. that's good. Oh, good. I'll look out for it then. Yeah, sounds great. And now we have our final award of the evening coming up oh, to two hours on the podcast. Um, <laughs> Best Director. So, my first honourable mention for Best Director was um, Nayla Guiget. Oh my god. <laughs> Apologies if I've butchered that name. For the film Dustin. Um, oh, okay. This is, this is one I, I haven't seen. Yeah. So, it's um, it follows a, uh, a trans woman set in France on a night out uh, on a rave. Um, it's it, cut, the filmmaking really reminds me of sort of Safdie Brothers, like Ooh. real sort of. Oh, slice I'm good at miss this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like more not the stress levels of a Safdie Brothers no. movie. More like um, what was the film they made just before um, the Robert Pattinson one? Um, okay, so the Robert Pattinson one, Good Time. Uh, the, yeah, one the one before, before that, that was Heaven Knows What about the heroin addicts. Yeah. Yes more similar to that in that slice oh, of life kind of kind i am of really good at i missed this <laughs> it's not it's nowhere near as dark as that it's just the style yeah. of it really reminded yeah. me of it if that oh, makes wow. sense um cool. but it um 
I just thought it was really impressive. Like it maneuvers through these big crowds uh, and it really feels like a night out. Like it just feels like it never ends. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and every, the way everyone talks like they're drunk. I thought the direction was great for the actors because they all feel like, especially towards the end of the film when they're back at like this flat and they're all just kind of like drunkenly dancing and just chatting rubbish. Yeah. And it feels like such a genuine end of night out movie. <laughs> And um, but it's also like really human, really emotionally heartfelt. Oh, um, good that I missed this because that's like right yeah, up my alley. Yeah, I uh. would def- if you get a chance to, I'd check it out. I thought yeah. it was really, really good. Um, yeah, and like really kind of subtly deals with some of like the smaller issues that people might face with um, like the main character. I think if I'm, I might be misremembering, but she's trans, and I think she's in a relationship with a guy who is gay. Um, so like, I guess she's transitioned since her, like, since they've been going out, if that makes sense. Right. So it's kind of a, a subtle, like, depiction of what that might be like for both people involved, you know, because she's now a woman and, um, and he's still gay. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's an interesting one, it, but it, it's not like really overdramatic or anything. And it's, yeah, I it's just like, great. these are the people, this is their life. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Slice of life, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, my other honourable mention was for returning Lucy Bridger, um, basically for all the reasons we've already said. Yep. Like I thought she got great performances out of everyone. I thought, like, just I don't know, every every part of it worked. It really felt like a sweltering hot day. Like everything was so green, you know. Yep. Um, and yeah, and just, very sweaty got, as well. Just, very just the, sweaty. The level of the sweat on the characters was um, very accurate, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I feel like the way she got like the subtlety out of people, like just there's one shot I think I remember, like the camera just lingers on uh, the gardener and um, the main character's hands as they're kind of near each other. Mm-hmm. Just little like sensual moments like that. Um, <clears throat> just really really great um what were your own rule mentions yi tang for black goat nice uh it felt like five movies in one in the best possible way <laughs> so i think that every like any filmmaker who's able to uh pin that down and make a good movie out of all five of those movies is doing quite a good job i also thought that maria martinez bayona for um such small hands did a stellar job of that making. That's my top one. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And you know what was my top one? What? Returning Lucy Bridger. No way. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, those two were like interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. Like definite, um, just really tight visions of, of films. Um, actually, in the best possible way, I think Maria Martinez Bayona for such small hands reminded me quite a lot of Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, I can see that. Um, yeah. In the way that it's sort of like anachronistic of just the way that these kids talk mm-hmm. and the way that everything's ever so slightly mannered, but everything has like an anchoring in, in, in real life. Yeah. Um, it did remind me a bit of The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is one of my favourite films of the past decade. Um, yeah. Equal parts hilarious and scary. Yeah. There's something about the way the kids speak. 
like the performances she gets out of these kids yeah. is incredible because sometimes they're being like kids you know they're roaring at each other which is kind of weird in itself because kids are kind of weird and it kind of feels a little bit <laughs> it feels a bit you know mm. but then sometimes they'll say stuff and it's really adult you know yeah. and that feels completely it really rubs you the wrong way in a different way and it's just this uneasy feeling the whole way through and I love the way that she um, frames it as well. She's framed the whole movie, so you only ever see the kids. Mm-hmm. There's there are there adults are, around, yes, but they're always off screen. Them. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's it's like this is a kids' world, mm-hmm. and these are, we're going to play by these kids' rules, and it's yeah, and fantastic. it is not always innocent either. No, no, it's dark. <laughs> yes, so um, like the ability to. Uh, create that feeling from a big cast of kids in, in, in fairness and also give each of them their own personality. I know it's like about five kids that it ends up sort of um, focusing in on in the end, but at the end of the day, I think everybody, like you can look around in the crowd shots of that movie and everybody's doing their own like great work. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. lovely attention to detail in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that ending, beginning and ending shot, Wow, <laughs> really great. Speaking of endings, <laughs> <laughs> a long overdue um, one, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. I mean, what were we saying? About half an hour for this podcast? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> but you know what? This is good because how many young filmmakers and up and coming filmmakers have we represented through this? Yeah, yeah. I hope we've done a good job for yeah. any of them who happen to be listening. Me too. If you have enjoyed this podcast in any way, please do share it with everybody that you know, just so uh, all of these young and upcoming filmmakers can get a little bit more attention. I know it was a bit of a shotgun blast in terms of content there, and it's just like, well, yeah, good luck finding all of those short films that we've talked about in all of these 30-odd different festivals, but uh, there's a little bit of a challenge for you nonetheless. We are going to be trying to keep doing this sort of film festival content as we go forward. Maybe we'll try and be a little less psychotic uh, with uh, not watching 70-odd movies in the run-up to it. But nonetheless, thank you so much for listening to it. Jack, thank you so much for being so patient as well. I think we've had some really good debates here tonight. Mm -hmm, Definitely. No, thank you for having me on. Thank you. No, thank you. I mean, I have been podcasting for four hours straight now. Oh, my God. Because uh, I started at 6.30 with the interview with uh, Neve Fagan for Shooting the Mafia, and now it is uh, 10.31. <laughs> oh, my God. You're going to sleep well. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Take care, everyone. See you later. <laughs>